It's hard to believe this is our last night together. I don't know about you all, but I feel like the time has flown by. Um, I pray that it's been a rich uh, time of uh, building up for you and your faith, a challenging time uh, for what God has in front of us. Um, And tonight I'm I'm looking forward to bringing you God's Word from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 6. So Paul writes to the church, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, as we um, read your word tonight, we thank you that you sent someone, some ones, years ago for all of those persons in this room who have been saved by you, by your glorious gospel. Uh, God, you sent someone. Even if there were a person in this room tonight that on a business trip opened up a a hotel end table and found a Gideon Bible, Lord, you put it there. You sent someone. Father, even now we... Uh, Each one of us, if we pause for a second, can remember names and faces of people who faithfully shared their life and your gospel with us. Now, Lord, I thank you for Mike, uh, my junior year of high school, and his faithful testimony. Lord, I thank you for Craig, uh, my youth pastor from junior high and high school, and his witness. Lord, I thank you for my mom and dad and their faithfulness. Um, Even when they would have testified that they were lost, they were, uh, they, Lord, they were discerning enough that they knew they wanted us in church, and so they made it non-optional. And Lord, I thank you for that, and I thank you for saving them. Lord, I do ask that you would um, put before us your word tonight that we would feed on it, that you would feed us by it, that you would nourish our souls, and that you would use Powell's Chapel as a brilliant light streaming throughout this this area, this county, Walter Hill, Murfreesboro, Smyrna, Laverne, God, that you would use this church to faithfully proclaim your glorious gospel. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sharing your grace story, sharing your testimony, your grace testimony. That's the, the topic in front of us tonight. And, and the idea that I want us to get a hold of tonight, and then I want to, to support that from this text, is that every Christian, without exception, is a witness. Every Christian is called to be a witness. Every Christian is a witness. And so with that, from this text, 
And we're going to see three things that, first off, prayer is our primary work. Before we're ever sharing the gospel, evangelism, sharing our grace testimony, our primary work is to pray. The second thing is that we are to pray, or specifically to ask for and walk through open doors. And then the last thing for us tonight is one word, speak. All right, so we're going to look at that now. Every Christian, a witness. In verse 2 and 3, you will see four times over Paul's call to pray. It's repeated four times. So you'll see two explicit reference. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being mindful that we are the church that Paul is writing to. Now he's writing specific in his context, first century, the church in Colossae, and by extension, the church. And so he's telling us to continue steadfastly in prayer. That's your first reference. The second, being watchful in it. In what? In prayer. So continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Third reference, at the same time, pray. Pray also for us. Now, the us there would have been uh, a reference back to the introduction to Paul's letter to the church, which was he and Timothy, specifically. So pray also for us. That's your third reference. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. That I may make it clear. Well, what's the that? Well, that's again a fourth reference to prayer. Pray that I would make the gospel or the mystery of Christ Christ clear, which is how I ought to speak. So in verses 2, 3, and 4, you have four references to prayer. Prayer. Pray, 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 pray. Prayer is our primary work. Now this, without a doubt, is an explicit call, uh, an imperative to the church to evangelize, to share the gospel. And, And for Paul personally, he's putting a prayer request before the church for himself in his own evangelism. And before he gets to any of that, he's saying pray, 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 pray. Uh, several years ago, before Sarah and I, we, we met and had known each other, but before we ever started dating, um, I applied for and was accepted by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention to go overseas to Poland to do sports evangelism. Uh, I was going to spend at least two years with an option to a third in Czestochowa, Poland, you know, working with a career missionary there doing sports evangelism. Um, to jump quickly off of that, I, I met Sarah, and six weeks later asked her to marry me, and then the rest was history. I never made it to Poland. Um, we got engaged six weeks after our first date, and then got married three months after that. So first date to wedding was four and a half months. I would never counsel anybody to do that, um, but that was 16 years ago, and God's seen us through. He's been very faithful to us. But while I was at the Missionary Learning Center I think they've changed the name now. It was in Rockville, Virginia, still there. And I went and spent six weeks there in training. And they had a prayer room. And several times during my six weeks while I was there, I went to the prayer room. And, and they had places where you could kneel down. There were you know pillows that you could put down and prayer benches. And I spent time in that prayer room. And etched on the wall 
right in front of one spot where I would kneel to pray was a quote that I'll never forget. And, and it said, prayer does not prepare us for the greatest work. Prayer is the greatest work. There is an error that many Christians fall into concerning evangelism. And it's, it's this. There are two errors. The second one I'll get to in the second point. But one error that Christians fall into concerning evangelism is that a person's salvation, another person's salvation, has everything to do with me. That's one error. And so this, this is the person that thinks that I have to argue somebody or love somebody into the kingdom. And that if somebody rejects God and rejects His gospel, I must have messed something up because it's all on my shoulders that a person's salvation has everything to do with me. And so maybe I, I messed up you know, the words. Maybe I stumbled over a concept. Maybe I misquoted the Scripture. I didn't get the Bible verse right. Or I didn't tell that person enough. They continue to reject God and, and gosh, I've just got to get to them again because everything is riding on my shoulders. And the reason why I bring this up is because Paul knew that the battle began and ended where the battle begins and ends is in prayer. This is a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, forces that are at work. In this world, it, you consider Romans 1.18 where Paul writes that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness against men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's not bare fact by which somebody would not believe in God. You can put all the facts down all day long. But without the Spirit of God taking the Gospel of God and transforming the hearts of men, you'll never argue anyone or love anyone into the kingdom. Because that's not our role. It's the Spirit of God who gives new birth. That's, that's John 3. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. A man doesn't make himself born again. That's, that's a, a spiritual work. By the Holy Spirit. And so it is not holy and everything on top of your shoulders concerning seeing somebody saved. That's up to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. I had a preaching professor in seminary that said that he prayed Hebrews 4.2 every Tom, before he got up to speak, he said he would stand off, he would look at every person, and he would pray Hebrews 4.2. And it says this, for good news, that's gospel, good news came to us just as to them. The gospel was preached to us, the gospel was preached to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And God is the one who gives faith. 
by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so, yes, we are called to preach the gospel. Yes, we are called to proclaim faithfully. And the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, will take those words and unite them with faith in the listeners, in the hearers. And so we pray. We pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is our primary work. And this is why Paul, in just a few short verses, is hammering this over and over and over again. And isn't it interesting that the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament asked the church in Colossae to pray for him. To pray for him. To pray that God would give him an open door. John Piper, in a sermon that he preached nearly 30 years ago, or six months out of the 30-year anniversary of a sermon he preached to a national gathering of pastors, he said this concerning prayer. He said it was a wartime walkie-talkie. Now, you might be far removed from your kids being the age where they were enthralled by walkie-talkies. My kids love them. You know, even the cheap dollar walkie-talkies from the dollar store that you can't even hear the person that's right in front of you with them. They love those things. Just clicking the button and hearing this static, they they think it's the best thing in the world. Piper said that prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie. It's our our wartime walkie-talkie. But he said this concerning prayer. He said, very few people think that we are now in a war greater than World War II, greater than any imaginable nuclear World War III, or that Satan is a much worse enemy than communism or radical Islam. Or that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater, but is in every town and in every city in the world. Or that the casualties do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but they lose everything, even their own soul. And they enter a hell of everlasting torment. Until people believe this, they will not pray as they ought. They will not even know what prayer is. He goes on and says, instead of prayer being a wartime walkie-talkie, where we're, we're calling in the air raid, where we're asking the commander and the chief to intercede, to, to push back the forces of evil and darkness that are all around us. He said, we've made prayer an intercom. And we're asking the butler for a more comfortable pillow. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. And, and let me simply ask you this. I, I asked last night and the night before essentially two questions and then a third tonight. From two nights ago concerning gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, is, is for us to pray and to ask God, what would you change in me? What would you change in me? Another way to ask it is, God, would you show me my sin? God loves to answer that prayer. I have found that when I pray and I ask God to show me my sin, He takes me to places I didn't want to go to see things that I didn't want to see. God, show me my sin. What do you want to change in me concerning fruit of the Spirit? Concerning stewardship of life? How is it that you would use me, God? How is it that you would have me serve? And then tonight is who? It's the who question. Who is it that you want me 
to share you with. And, and if I were to ask you, who are you currently praying for? Who are you currently praying for their salvation? Do you have that person? Do you, do you see their face? Do you know their name? Do you have to think for a while? I want to ask you on this first point tonight, um, before we go to the second, to stop right here, right now, and pray. And it may be that you don't have that person, and that's okay, then pray this. Pray that God would convict and press deep into your heart one person, one person, that He would use you to share Him with. And if you have that person or those persons in your life, I don't want to limit that, pray for them. Let's do that right now. everyone said amen second point tonight look at verse 3 and following at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak so the first point prayer is our primary word the second is that we are to ask for and walk through open doors. Ask for and walk through open doors. So the second error, if the first error is that a person's salvation has everything to do with me, the second error is that a person's salvation has nothing to do with me. That it has absolutely nothing to do with me. And see, this is the error that says, well, if God's going to save who God's going to save because salvation belongs to the Lord, then why pray for anybody? Why speak to anybody? Because God's going to do it. Yes. And, and it may very well be, in fact, it is ordained and designed by God to do that through His people. Sharing His gospel. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.4. And I, I love this text. I come back to it very often in my life. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. Now, going back just a hair for context, verse 2, we give thanks to God always. This is chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, For we know brothers loved by God. He calls them brothers. Adelphoi is the word. It's a, it's a familial term, a family term for Christians, brothers and sisters. So we know brothers loved by God that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. 
Paul's saying that when we were in Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, that we came and we preached the gospel, and the Holy Spirit took our gospel that we preached, and He changed your lives through it. So the error that a person's salvation has nothing to do with me misses the blaring siren's call of the Scriptures for us to be the instruments that God uses in proclaiming the Gospel and entrusting His Holy Spirit to use that Gospel to change lives. Acts chapter 16. This is the account of Lydia. And you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. And Lydia was a God-fearer who did not know Jesus Christ. So she was lost. One who had heard, this is Acts 16, verse 14. There was one who had heard, she was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearer. She was lost. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so we are called to speak. And, and, and we do that. That's going to be the last point before we get there. But we do that with the confidence of knowing that because salvation belongs to the Lord, that He is ordained to use His gospel to save His people. And so when we proclaim that gospel... We're not having to beat people over the head. We're not having to go home and sulk if they reject. We continue to pray. We continue to preach. We continue to share. And we entrust everybody to the Lord. And we ask Him to save. And we keep preaching the gospel, entrusting Him to do it. And so it's confident conversion. We have confidence that God is going to continue to use His Word to save people. To change them. And the reason that you and I have confidence in that is because we're still here. We're still here. God is building for Himself a church out of living stones. Living stones. This is 1 Peter. And when He's done building that church, that is His place of habitation. That's where He dwells. When He's done building it, We're done. That's when He comes back. As one man said, the last block in is the last block in. And so for the very fact that we are still here means that He is not done. So the gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations, then the end will come. It's both Mark and Matthew's gospel. And then the end. The gospel keeps going out. And until he returns, the gospel will keep going out because he's still building. And so we can have the most humble of confidences that because we are here and because God is still entrusted to us the word of salvation, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's not done. He's not done. And so back to this Colossians passage then, uh, there's something very interesting here. You know, one Paul says, pray that God would open to us a door for the word. Pray that he would open to us a door for the word. And, and that's another way of saying, God, give me opportunities. Give me opportunities to share you with others. So you're praying for the name of that person. 
And, and, and we pray in addition to that, God, give me an opportunity. Lord, I, I would be so honored if you would use me in the life of others. Would you give me an opportunity to declare you with others? Um, the mystery of Christ here is a, a shorthand term for Paul. Uh, it's a summary term where in that he's thinking of various aspects of the Christian gospel. They weren't fully revealed in the past, but in Paul's day they are fully revealed. The mystery is Christ, and he says that explicitly in other places. So if, if that throws you for a loop to declare the mystery of Christ, you could say the mystery which is Christ. So uh, Christ pulls back all the curtains, right? He is the answer the, the yes answer to all of God's promises. Old Testament into the new. And so it is Christ. But then this, this last part here, he says, so on account of this mystery of Christ, I am in prison. Uh, one commentator highlighted something about that is simply to say, why would, God, why would Paul throw that in here? Why would Paul at this point, when he's asking for prayer and asking for prayer for open doors, that he would throw in on account of Christ... I am in prison. Uh, at the time that Paul wrote Colossians, he would have been in Rome. Um, Acts chapter 28. This was his third imprisonment. This is toward the, the latter stages of Paul's life. But why throw that in? Because directly, and, and you could say explicitly speaking, Paul wasn't in prison in Rome because he was picked up for sharing the gospel. He wasn't picked up for sharing the gospel at the point that he was in Rome. He'd appealed to Caesar at a time that he'd entered into the temple. And, and because of that, because they believed that he was desecrating the temple, he was accused of taking a non-circumcised man into the temple and then breaking Jewish law. That explicitly was why Paul was now in prison, if you, you trace it back. What's... what's I think really beautiful about this reference to on account of this I'm in prison is that Paul saw the sovereignty and the work of God in every circumstance of his life as being about Jesus including his imprisonment now, Philippians chapter 1 Paul says this I, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel as it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And he says, So most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ, not sincerely, not sincerely, but seeking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And then he asks this question, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul looked at the circumstances of his life that would batter and beat most of us down. We would fold up like an accordion. We are in prison, and Paul saw it as divine because the gospel was going out, not only in his prison throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, but the gospel was going out through other people outside of prison who were emboldened by Paul's imprisonment. And so this is a way for Paul to say that in every circumstance of life, 
including the ones that you think could not be from God, God is using for His glorious gospel. Every circumstance, with every person. The story is told at an evangelistic conference in the 1960s, I believe, uh, where Billy Graham was the keynote of a, a warrior who at this time was in his 80s from a, a, a tribe in Africa, the Maasai people. And his name was Joseph. And upon telling his story to several people there at the conference, the word spread about Joseph, the Maasai warrior, to the point that it got around to Billy Graham. And so Billy Graham wanted a hearing with Joseph. So this elderly warrior from a warring African tribe was ushered into a meeting with Billy Graham where he shared his story. It's now somewhat famous, but the story goes like this, that one day Joseph, as a young man, was walking along a road where he encountered a Christian in Africa who shared the gospel with him, and God changed him on the spot. And so Jesus became his Lord. So he returned to his village where he went hut to hut telling everybody about the salvation available through the cross of Christ. He was not prepared for the hostile reaction of his own tribesmen and women. Men seized him, pinned him down, while women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged out into the bush and left for dead. He came to from unconsciousness, crawled to a water hole where he would pass in and out of consciousness for the next two days. Then, upon coming back to his senses, he wondered if he didn't say something right in what had been shared with him about Jesus. So he determined to go back to the village where he tried again saying, Jesus died so that you can have forgiveness with God. They again seized him, beat him, and dragged him outside of the village, thinking surely this time he was dead. He returned to consciousness a second time, and he went back to the village. He, he gasped for words about Jesus' power for eternal life. And as he passed out the third time, he saw women of his village crying as they beat him. When he awoke the fourth time, he was in his own bed in the village where his assailants were desperately trying to save his life. The entire village at that point had come to Christ. Paul says, I'm in prison because of Jesus. And, and I simply ask us, what would we be unwilling to sacrifice for the gospel? The thought of our reputation with somebody? What are they going to think about me if I say something? 
political correctness in our society and the offense of the gospel just not a sacrifice I'm, I'm willing to make what are we willing to put on the line to share Christ with others for his sake on account of him I'm in prison last point speak speak it's not your job to save anybody it is not Martin Luther said it is our job to speak words it's our job to get words in people's ear and it's the Holy Spirit's job to get the words from their ear to their heart I, I lived for several years under a, a massive load of guilt that if, if I wasn't ABC, admit, believe, confess, Romans Road, you know, 323, 623, 10, 9, and 10, you know, with everybody that I saw that uh, that, that was going to be it. And so I thought, well, I ain't got time for that with everybody that I meet. <laughs> how do I, I don't have time for that. There's too much going on in the day. How do I how do, I do that? And, and it was a, a guilt of mine that led me to, to silence. It silenced me for a long time with people. Well, if I don't have 30 minutes to sit down with everybody and ask them about, you know, where are you going to go if you die tonight, which is creepy to me anyway. Like, what do you know that I don't know? Um, it's the, the, the way that I think about that. What are you planning? Um, you know, it, so I would just be silent. And, and the thing is, is that you don't know what God's doing in somebody's life. And, and you can let yourself off the hook. It's not your job to save anybody. It is your job to speak. We, we get up to bat and we think we've got to hit a home run. And we think if we can't hit a home run, then we're not even going to get up to bat. And God just wants us to get up to bat. He just wants us to get in the game. just wants us to get up to bat. And I've also found, and this is just personal counsel here, that because you don't know what God's doing in somebody's life, as we talked about seed, that, you know, in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, talks about the seed of the gospel that's been planted in our hearts. And then Paul later on in 1 Corinthians 3 says that I'll plant it in Apollos water, but God causes the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. We have been called to plant and to water. And the vast majority of the seed growth is under the surface. There's an application here for sharing the gospel just like there is for fruit of the Spirit in our own life. And so it may be that you happen upon somebody when the fruit is ripe for the harvest. And, and you say something to them and they call out to Jesus for the first time to save them, to be their Lord, to be their Savior. And you get to, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing, you get to see that person transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But before that ever happens, there's been a thousand people and circumstances in that person's life that God has been using them to, using to bring them to that point. And the odds are, is that you are going to be more in the 1,000 camp than the one camp. Now, praise God if you're in the one camp, but chances are that you're going to be in the thousand, planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering. So you can let yourself off the hook when it comes to that. You're, you don't have to hit home runs. But get in the game. 
Paul says at the same time, pray that God might open for us a door for the Word. Pray that we would declare the mystery of Christ. Pray that we would make it clear which is how we ought to speak. And then now Paul goes from personal prayers for himself to verse 5 to say, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Your witness matters. Your, your character and your integrity matters. Again, Philippians, I find this fascinating that in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul has gone through this great Christ hymn to say that he became a servant. He humbled himself, becoming a servant, dying for us. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given them the name above every name. That right after Paul says that in Philippians 2, he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the very next thing is this. Do all things without complaining or grumbling so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. It's fascinating to me that right after he, he in the New Testament and all of Paul's letters, has the greatest exalted declaration of who Jesus is, he tells us to work out our salvation and stop complaining. It's fascinating. Why? That we would be blameless and innocent, shining as lights in the midst of a people who know nothing but complaining and grumbling. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. Your speech gracious and seasoned with salt. At Marshall University, every year, there are two guys that come on campus with a bullhorn. Every year, Marshall's school newspaper, the Parthenon, does an article about these two guys. And every year, these two guys go to the most trafficked place in the center of Marshall's campus, and they scream about how everyone there, including the Christians who are walking by, are all going to hell. Now, I have no doubt, because we've had people from our church attempt to talk to those guys to then become also the brunt of their absolute judgment and condemnation I have no doubt that if you were to pull those two guys in here and say what are you doing they would say we're being a light we're being a light we're, we're telling everybody about Jesus Paul as he commends us tells us to let our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt the reality of salt is it made things taste better. Especially in a culture where they didn't have the preservatives. You didn't set the McDonald hamburger out and three weeks later it hadn't changed shape. You know, that they didn't have that in Paul's day. And so salt made things taste better. And in this, there's, there's an allusion to 1 Corinthians where Paul says, Become all things to all men that by all means you might save some. Are we making the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in the way... Now, it's the gospel. It's not going to change. But in the way that we speak to people, in the way that we share that gospel, they, they want something that we don't have. 
Sorry. They want something that we do have that they do not. And and when I, I think about this here, about letting our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. I think about uh, Ecclesiastes 4.11 where uh, Solomon writes that God has put eternity into the hearts of men yet so that he, he you know, is in the dark but I- eternity in the hearts of men. There was an old story um, called uh, The World of Flesh and, and Father Smith about this Catholic priest who would walk every day past a brothel where one day he encountered a prostitute that he engaged with God, with Christ. It's, it's a really interesting book, but there's a statement in the book that says, uh, the man that stands on the door of the brothel and knocks is searching for God. Todd shared this in his sermon about sharing your grace story. Um, there's many ways that many people have talked about this throughout history, that there is a God-shaped hole. This is Augustine in every heart that can only be filled with him. People are longing, they're looking. Now, not necessarily for God, but from the gifts of God. They're, they're longing, they're longing for love, they're longing for relationship, they're longing for acceptance, they're longing for beauty and worth. The Christian knows where all of that is found. It's, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. And so... Our speech should be attractive, appealing, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. To answer each person. Gosh, where did the time go tonight? You and I have this life in this life only to proclaim Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. When you breathe your last breath, when you see Jesus face to face, when Jesus comes again, there will be no evangelism, strictly speaking, proclaiming Christ to lost people at that point. That is it. A missionary work is the only Endeavor that the church has been assigned in this age, in the church age, that will not continue through eternity. Uh, I read a story, and this is conclusion, in 2007, so it's, it's 10 years old now, about a guy named Dave Busco. Uh, Dave was 29 years old, and he was from New Jersey, and he paid almost $4,000 to go through a survival training class in Utah that lasted for 10 days. It was one of these rugged wilderness training classes. He was with 11 other people that had all paid for the class plus his instructors. Uh, Dave hiked for a long time, for days, stopping, camping, trying to find water, trying to find provision with 11 others and his guides. Dave was 100 yards away from a cave where there was an underground stream where he had access to all the water that he could have possibly wanted. Dave had been hallucinating for hours and begging for water, and the guides and the other teammates had continued to push him and push him and push him to say, let's continue, don't stop, 
Let's go. And 100 yards before he reached the cave, he passed out, never to be resuscitated. He died 100 yards away from water. As the story broke and the family sued the company, it was also discovered that each survival guide, there were four of them, had an emergency supply of water on their person. And they watched him die of thirst. And I read that story and it blew my mind. How in the world could they? How in the world could they watch him die without giving him life-sustaining water? God has placed you where he has you. That by his grace he would use you to distribute life-sustaining water to a thirsty and dying generation. And we simply ask God, would you use me? Would you use me? Would you use me? Let's pray. Dear Father, I ask you through your Son and by your Spirit to use us. Amen.